It is good to see everybody. We're excited to continue our Pioneer series. I don't know how many of you joined us last week through a different social media venue or you were able to be with us. This is our second week in our Pioneer series. And uh, we've been kind of talking about what it takes to be a pioneer. And I know that's like a, a Western term, right? So you're all thinking out West, but believe it or not, in the digital world, pioneering is a word that many are using now. Anytime you launch something new or go into any kind of new territory that maybe has not been traversed before, we use this term pioneer. Simply put, doing something no one else has done going into territory that is unknown. And I think we would all agree in the past six months, um, this year, 2020, we're in new territory, going through things we never thought we would go through or can believe we're going through. And uh, so in a lot of ways, we're all pioneering new territory. And this is a great series then to kind of kind of lock us in, give us some motivation, give us some ways to live in such a time as this, right? And uh, boy, I think it's apropos because in our summer series, we were talking so much about what it's like to be a kingdom kid and what we should be prioritizing. Now we begin to look at something corporately where we can gather around and say, hey, let's pioneer this together in the way Jesus would have us do it. So, so what was a pioneer? Well, we, we kind of broke this down into three words, but specifically kind of comparing and contrasting. Kids, can I take you into school for just a second? Compare and contrast, remember that? Um, the no, I won't of a bandwagon faith. I'm not gonna do it, God, if I gotta do it that way, okay? We looked at these would-be followers in Luke last week. I'm out, I I'm just not ready yet. God, have you ever told God, not yet? I'm in, but not yet. Um, or I'll pass, there's just too much to lose. I mean, I, I, I look out into the future and I see a lot of possible loss and that, that scares me. But see, the pioneer spirit's different. The pioneer says, yes, I will. Whatever it takes, God, whatever you want from me. The pioneer spirit says, I'm in. I've counted the cost. I, I want to follow. The pioneer spirit says, I'll go. There's just far too much to gain for me not to follow. And so that attitude of God, when you call me to follow, I'll do whatever. I'll sacrifice my comforts. I, I'll do it whenever. I'll sacrifice my plans. I'll do it however I'll sacrifice my way of doing things. God, I'm all in, I'm all yours. And if that is an attitude you'd like to have, whether you're a college student with your life ahead of you, or whether you're a retired saint, okay? I don't know why you get the term senior saint at a certain age, but you do, all right? And you deserve it, okay? Whether you're, you think you're in your final quarter of life, you can still be a pioneer, and be used heavily for God. No one's allowed to check out. Abraham, God is call it 80 years old, okay? And we wanna be pioneers for Jesus Christ, not in it just when things are good, but in it no matter what the call is. And what a better book to do that in than the book of Acts. I've asked you to start reading, get ahead of me, um, just be thinking about ways you wanna just tackle this book yourself. Maybe you'll be reading it in groups. If you're in a watch party, talk about it together when you get through chapters. And then I'll try to add some juice to the, to the message for you to talk about throughout the week as we all interact with this awesome book of Acts. Just in a way of introduction, let's remember, Acts is a book that, that it's, it's a phenomenal. It's one of a kind. It's the only book where you're gonna get a record of the transition from Judaism to Christianity. The only book you're gonna get that in in scripture. You're also got a canvas of the background to Paul's New Testament epistles. If you need to understand Paul's books better and understand Paul's writings, Acts is your book. You've gotta have that as your background. It's like a canvas um, to his epistles. It's a library for the growth and practices of the early church. Luke went out of his way to describe how the early church began to grow. It's great for that. Acts is a tour of the captivating accounts of the apostles' epic faith. You want to grow in your faith? Say, man, I want my faith to grow this year. I don't want to go into 2021 the same person. Acts is a great book to go in and model the faith that we see in these apostles. And then, and then I, I put this out last week. It's a sequel to the history set forth in the Gospels. In many ways, Luke is continued on in the book of Acts. One of the number one ways that's laid out is by how Luke begins both his gospel and Acts by saying, dear Theophilus. 
okay? He, he is continuing something. He's recording something. And these are some of the things we're gonna try to bring out today as we open up our series officially in Acts. It's pioneers. We're gonna be in Acts chapter one, verses one through 11. If you have your scripture, whether it's paper, digital, or following along on the screen, we want you to engage with the word of God. We at first love the Bible, love to preach it, love to teach it, and more importantly, we love to live it. And I pray that you'll be blessed by our time in these verses today. Would you pray with me, and then we will jump into this awesome book, the book of Acts. Heavenly Father, use this study to inspire us to be pioneers, to launch into this new territory, this new, this new season of life, a little bit of the unknown. Lord, there's been a lot of changes we've felt and we're experiencing. There's also been a lot of loss. And so, Lord, that can be discouraging at times too. And, and Lord, we need to hear from you. Lord, we hear from everyone else all week long. Um, we live in a society that is divided, angry, bitter, resentful, self-righteous. They attack. And we're in all this turmoil and all this confrontation. Sometimes, Lord, if we're real honest, we get caught up in it too. And, and Lord, we need these times to get centered. We need these mornings where we can gather together in your word and let you speak and you speak only. So free us from our distractions. There's no notification that needs to be heard or read or seen more than the notification from you on how to live in even times of great, great pressure and outside influences making us feel things that we hadn't felt before. May we pioneer into this new Lord following you. We know you're faithful. Amen. Hey, it's Acts 1, 1 through 11. Let, let, me, uh, let me just real quick here, let me like treat this like a seminary class real quick, and let's, let's um, just dive down into something called genre. Don't check out on me, okay? All right? There is something interesting about the book of Acts, which is the Acts of, you, you've often heard the Acts of the Disciples or the Apostles. Um, it's been one of its most ancient titles. That's why it's Acts, okay? Um, it's not uh, Acts A. X-E, as some grew up thinking. Um, this is the Acts of the Apostles, or the Acts of Faith, we're calling it. But this book is written, Luke writes this in narrative style, which is a storytelling approach, and it's, it's incredible. As you can imagine from all Luke in writing, um, Luke being a physician of Paul, okay, Paul's doctor, if you will, right, as well as a, a physician at large, he's an incredible writer as well. And he wrote in narrative, not only we see that in the Gospels, but he continues that in the book of Acts. But one of the things that's neat about Acts, if I could just uh, have you stay with me for just a few seconds longer in, in literature, is it's kind of written in almost like a subgenre. Okay? In ancient literature, there was this subgenre called hero literature. Isn't that kind of interesting? And hero literature would kind of speak of accounts of heroic deeds done by people that we could emulate. Now, obviously, the apostles being some of the main characters of this book of Acts, we get to meet these characters and get to know them a little bit. And they can be, in some ways, heroic, and it's only because of the work done by God. Have you ever had a hero? Do you have a hero? If I came up to you and said, you have a hero? So, some of you might have to think about it a little bit, you know, who's your hero? I remember the first time I had my first hero, I think I was like eight years old, I'm gonna guess, okay? But I was old enough to really watch this and it would scare me at times and times, but I enjoy it. But every Friday night, I got to stay up late, okay? And, and I could go to my grandpa's house and at nine o'clock, I think it was, so other kids who were soft, you know, go to bed and I stayed up and watched my guy. So at nine o'clock, on comes this guy. And if you ticked him off, he would start to shake. And I'd be like, oh yeah, tick him off some more. And they'd get him more angry and he'd start to shake. And then all of a sudden his eyes would go yellow. I'm like, yeah. And his eyes would go yellow and then his shirt would bust. This green skin would come out. I'm like, yes, I loved it. I couldn't get enough. Here he goes. He's going, he's going. Now you know I'm talking about the Incredible Hulk. What eight-year-old doesn't want to lose their temper and destroy things around the house? I mean, this is the greatest hero of your life. This is allowed? We celebrate this? I love this guy. And I began to hawk out all the time. I, I would just love to hawk out and be like my hero, the Incredible Hulk. I mean, I went crazy. I got the underoos. Look it up. You can find out what they are. I, I mean, I had the big, I, everything. I wanted to be the Incredible Hulk. Well, as you get older, 
You begin to get heroes in your lines of work that you're passionate about. Maybe you're an athlete and you have a specific athlete you'd like to be like and you look up to them and you emulate them and you watch them and you keep your eye on them and you watch how they handle situations. You love to watch them when they don't know you're watching. Then you even get older and you start to have heroes of the faith. Just men or women you look to and say, I want to live a lifestyle that follows God like that. Or, or you gain followers. See, this is kind of uh, unnerving a little bit. Sometimes the reality is you're somebody's hero and they're copying you. I got a chance one time, a parent sent me a video of their son and he was in his bedroom preaching and he had a white belt on and he was preaching. And they go, we didn't let him cut his hair yet. I said, good idea. But I realized, wow, that little guy's watching me. I wanna be Jesus for that little guy. And sometimes we blow it, right? I remember one time being working in my garage and I, I was having trouble cranking something with a wrench and I was getting frustrated mad. You ever get there, guys? And I don't know what I'm doing out there anyway usually, so that anchors me. And, and, and I, I'm doing this and I slammed my finger and I took that wrench and I threw it where it belonged outside the garage. I mean, I just like, oh, my word, ah. Well, I had to come home from work the next day because my wife called me and said, could you come home? Our five-year-old's out in the garage going, ouch, and throwing the wrench out into the driveway. Where'd he learn that? I have no idea where these kids picked this up. Probably from their mother. We're living out something. People are watching. You got people looking at you and you're looking at other people. How important is it for us, especially in a time period like this, to model Jesus Christ? I think this is one of the most greatest things we can do right now, is to model a lifestyle of steadfastness, love, and truth instead of fear, panic, anger, resentment. Because people are watching, they're watching how we handle this. And trust me, they'll respond by what they see far more than what they hear. Parents, we can't. We can't say, don't lie. I don't want you to ever lie. And then the phone rings and your kid yells out, hey, mom, the phone's for you. Tell them I'm not here. They'll, they'll remember not what we say, but what we do. And as we pioneer into this new, how important for us to try to emulate Jesus Christ even in the difficulty of this unknown. Luke wants to show the growth but we're gonna to begin today in kind of the prologue. I'm gonna call it the foyer, if you will, of Acts. We walk into this foyer, and it's like we got doors, okay? One door over here says the promise, and it's got this little subtitle, maybe the Holy Spirit. What's inside that door? This door over here is the 12 apostles and their epic faith. What's inside that door? This door over here has this guy named Saul, who God intersected on a road in Damascus. This door over here has had missionary journeys, multiple missionary journeys. You walk into this book of Acts and you're going, what's going on? And Luke enters into the foyer and he kind of shows you all the doors, but we're not gonna enter all of them today. But we're gonna camp on one door specifically and that door is gonna be this apostle's door and we're gonna meet the pioneers, kind of the heroic deeds of the book of Acts this morning. And so if we open the pages, we'll find that Luke began by saying this. In the first book, what first book? Luke. O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach. What an interesting way to begin the book of Acts. Luke says, Theophilus, I'm writing to you. Who's this Theophilus? Uh, there's a lot of theories. One theory is that it's not even a person. <laughs> that Theophilus, it means lover of God, Okay, so it's writing to all those Theophiluses out there in a more allegorical sense. I'm not so much a proponent of that. I believe it really seems clearly that Theophilus is a person. In fact, we gain some more information about this Theophilus from Luke. In Luke, he says, most excellent Theophilus. So that gives us the idea he had titles, okay? He had titles, he had wealth, he had significance, he had rank. Theophilus was someone um, that, that was a high-ranking official. Some have argued, is it possible that Theophilus, okay, worked for Caesar, and Caesar wanted documented facts from one of the disciples about the life of Jesus Christ? It's a possibility. Another is he, Theophilus is one of the benefactors of Paul, who allowed Paul to go on the missionary journeys, and he wanted a detailed record because he had the money to put it together to possibly have this recorded for all time. 
What we don't know can't really preach. What we do know is Luke was writing Theophilus with a very important task. I'm going to prove to you and record for all time Jesus' building of the church in the book of Acts. But something neat comes right out of this first verse. Do you see it? It says, he wants to tell us about all that Jesus began to, look at this, do and teach. Isn't it interesting? Often we would put teach and then do, right? I mean, that's what people do. They teach, 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 and then they do it. Jesus was so phenomenal and so awesome that I truly believe a lot of the disciples go, oh, we probably should write down a few things he, he taught. I mean, he's like, I, I bet there were so many times. Did you just see what he did there? They love to watch him, I bet, when he didn't know they were watching. Did you just see him talk to the Samaritan woman? I know, right? Yeah, I saw that. He's like, oh, what? I know. Did you, see, you, you see what he did over there? I did. I can't even believe that. Yeah, he took, it, he took dirt and he went like, I know. Are you watching this? Yeah. You see the way he handles people? Did you see the way the Pharisees, they said that to him in that sarcastic tone using hyperbole? And then he responded back with the same Unbelievable. I really think there was stuff like that all the time. And they're like, oh yeah, but, but he also taught stuff too. And we need to record that. So, so Luke continues, I did this. I kept writing until the day when he was taken up. Okay, we saw him go up. Any of you see a human being talking to you and then go up into a cloud? We'll get into that door. After he had given commands, okay, some commands were given. Yeah, there's a door in the foyer. It's called the commands he gave to the apostles. Well, what were they? Mm, they were about sixfold. You probably all believers should have those commands memorized. Really? Yeah, yeah. Um, the door says great commission. Probably should know that. Oh, we should enter that door. Yeah, yeah. Okay, and through the Holy Spirit, he called these apostles whom he had sent. Well, what's an apostle? I mean, I drive by a million churches and they're calling themselves apostles. What's an apostle? Apostle literally means, you know what the word means? Apostles means simply sent ones. Sent ones. The apostles were sent ones. They, there was criteria for apostle. Anybody can't just name themselves an apostle. They had to have an earthly following of Jesus. Okay, so they had to follow his ministry while he was on earth. The second thing they had to do was they had to see the resurrected Jesus. Yeah. Jesus appeared for a certain amount of days. Do you remember how many days? Jesus appeared after his death and resurrection for a certain amount of days, and they had to have seen that. Third, they had to either be appointed by Jesus himself or have seen him. You say, well, how does Paul fit in? Because he came after the apostles. Well, was he called by Jesus? Yeah, Jesus showed up on the road to Damascus, and he was sent by Jesus. So he fit the requirements of being an apostle. So, so Luke says, to these apostles, he did this. He... Um, presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. Kids, 40 days Jesus walked around after his death and resurrection. 40 days, that's more than a month. That's a long time Jesus was walking around earth in his resurrected body. He didn't just come for a day and a few people spotted him and he left. He hung out for a while. Guys, why didn't you record more of that? <laughs> we would like to hear more of that. And they did record some of it, and we have it. But Jesus was around 40 days, and he presented himself alive to them by suffering many proofs. Now, I know some of you check out when I use the word Greek, but just stay with me here. The word proofs, okay, in its original language, tekmeriosis, means not just something witnesses say, but it carries the idea that this was being done in such a way where there is irrefutable evidence that Jesus lived after his death and resurrection. Luke is saying, this isn't just like my testimony. This isn't just like I'm a witness, which I am. There is irrefutable proof that Jesus walked around 40 days speaking about what? The kingdom of God. What's the kingdom of God? Well, those who are blessed are the pure in heart. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are those who hunger for righteousness. The kingdom of God, his promise. I believe an earthly kingdom coming that he will reign. This kingdom of God, Jesus spoke of it and spoke of it. He said, my kingdom's not of this earth, it's of, of heaven. 
And so as Jesus spoke of these things for 40 days, he stayed with them and he ordered these apostles not to depart from Jerusalem. Stay here. It'd be like if I were commissioning a team here, a staff here at first, I'd say, hey, listen, listen, I'm leaving. Stay here in Percocy. Stay here. Why? Why? Well, stay here. Don't depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the Father. What's the promise? Let's open that door for a second. He, he, I said this to you. You heard it from me. This is the promise that John baptized with water. The word baptized comes from a Latin baptizo, which means to immerse, to dip, okay, with water. But you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. How many of you historians know how many days it was from when Jesus said that till the time the Holy Spirit came? 10 days. Jesus told him, in 10 days, I'm gonna rock your living world. A promise is coming. The Holy Spirit's coming. I'm leaving the advocate, your helper, your guider, your protector, all the things that the Holy Spirit's gonna do, he's gonna come upon you in 10 days. But wait, stay here. 40 days Jesus spent with these guys. I don't want you to miss something here. 40 days in scripture carries weight. It carries a lot of weight. I want you to think about what else happened in 40 days. Any, any of you grew up in the church? What else happened in 40 days? How long was Jesus in the wilderness before his earthly ministry? How long was he tested? Excuse me, his testings? 40 days. How long was Moses up on top of Mount Sinai before he led his people out? 40 days on top of Mount Sinai. How long were the apostles with Jesus before they were sent on a call to share the gospel with the world? 40 days. It seems we could take 40 days and use it symbolically in our own lives. I call it a preparation season. That God has got to take his kids through a preparation season before he can exalt them into a big position, probably because we'll blow it. Second, because we're not ready for it. How many of you are really good at borrowing trouble from the future? I know some of you are awesome at it because I've heard some of you. You know, if this person gets elected, you know what's gonna happen and then that's gonna happen and that's gonna happen. You all know what's gonna happen 10 years from now. I think Jesus is up there going, really? Huh, man, you got it all figured out. You think he's ever impressed with our forecasting? He's not stressed, why are you? He knows the future. It's the devil who wants to scare us and where fear is present, faith is absent every time. And we all fall into this. But it seems as if God takes us through times of preparation so we can handle the future. I just don't know if I'll be able to stand up for my faith. If in, if in 15 years from now I'm standing in front of a guillotine, they're gonna chop my head off for sharing Christ. You're not, first, let's pray that doesn't happen, one, okay? Two, it's Sunday, just go home and have lunch. Okay? Can we not do 2035? Okay? And then third, do you not think if God had that for you, he'd prepare you for that? You're not who you would be at that moment yet. He who began a good work is faithful to complete it. He's not done with you. And whatever he calls you to, he's going to prepare you for. And sometimes it's a 40-day time period, not necessarily specific 40 days. That's not what I'm saying. But it's a time of preparation to prepare you before he can launch you. I teach this all my kids. I say, guys, it's in the gospel. Suffering before exaltation every time. Suffering, exaltation. You go through a really difficult sophomore year. You go through a really difficult second year of college. God's working on you and grinding you. There may be something on the other side. Don't give up. Suffering before exaltation. It's like Jesus wants to pull the best out of his guys. And so he's got to take them through a time of testing. The Navy SEALs call this, this time period of testing in their organization, Hell Week. Yeah, that's literally the name of it. It's the fourth week of basic training. They literally live in that kind of life. Five days, five nights, four hours of sleep max through that week. At any time, taken out into the ocean in frigid, in frigid conditions and called to survive, swim, take on the surf, crawl through waves, 
go to a point of almost passing out under the water and drowning, okay? Um, working together as teams, uh, uh, and they, they say the hardest part of Hell Week is actually they're always telling you, just quit, you don't need this. You can be in the military in another area. You don't need this. Just quit. Who wants to quit today? They start out almost every day. And the whole idea is um, really summed up by a Navy SEAL who wrote these specific words and kind of spoke out to me. His name was Mark Devine. He writes this. It's the 20 times factor of the SEALs. They really believe everyone, whether they're an accountant or whether they're an athlete, or whether they're a person of business, or whether they're a hardworking construction guy, everyone is capable of accomplishing 20 times whatever they think they can. People will talk themselves out of what they have been called to do because they think they can't, and we pull out that 20 times. I see Jesus doing this with the apostles, and what's awesome about this is, I think so many people think, you don't want me in church. I had somebody say to me, Chris, found out you're a pastor. I was on, a, I was on the sidelines of a sports game watching my kids. Hey, found out you're a pastor. You look really normal to be a pastor. I'm like, I appreciate that. And, and, and he, goes, he goes, you know what? I come to your church, Chris, but the walls would burn down if I walked in. Do you know what I'm saying? Do you know what I'm saying? I'm like, I don't think they burn down. Oh no, trust me, man, you know. And, and there's so many people who think that, that they are so awful that God would never call them. There's others who think, I don't have gifts. I mean, you don't understand me. I'm just quiet, I'm behind the scenes. I don't, want, like, I don't think God can ever use me. If you're here today and you're like, I just don't think God uses people like me, I wanna correct that thinking by looking at the 12 apostles. Do you know these 12 apostles? Do you know what scripture says about them? There's a lot of juice on these guys to give you an idea of what they're like. My wife loves personality tests. Do any of you ever take personality tests? Personality tests kind of let you know like what kind of person you are. Are you achiever based? Are you a shepherd leader? All these different things. And she ever she finds a personality test, she sends it to me. Take this, I wanna know what it says about you. And so I'll take it. She's like, oh my word, they're so true. And it, it, it does feel often remarkably true, okay? Uh, because I know one personality test nailed my wife to a T, okay? Um, deflects trouble by ignoring that it's actually happening. She's like, that's me. I'm like, I know, it is. Uh, um, but, but, but we're looking at these, these apostles and they all bring different personalities to the table. So, so let's just take a few minutes and let's walk through what scripture says about the called ones and see if you can find yourself in one of them. Maybe, maybe you're a hybrid. I had some people leave the first service. They said, I'm, I'm kind of him and him. Let's look at them. There's 12 apostles. Can you name them? Often people are like, Luke. I'm like, no, Luke was a disciple. He wasn't one of the apostles. Ah, ah, nah, nuts. Um, um, Peter, James, John, James and John. You know the brothers, okay? Andrew, Philip. Bartholomew or Nathaniel, okay? Many people believe that's the same person. Matthew, Thomas, James, Thaddeus, Simon, Judas. These are the 12, okay? Let's talk about Peter for a second. Peter was an influential leader. Have you ever heard the term alpha male? Here's your Peter. See, alpha males don't know they're alpha males. They just walk in a room and dominate it. They don't go, hey, I'm gonna walk in the room and dominate it. Their personality just dominates a room. Peter was like that, very influential man, okay? He's listed first, pretos, in Gospel of Mark, which means preeminent one, or first. He was the head, if you will, of these guys. He was a man of resolution. He was the guy who had the guts to interrupt Jesus. Would you interrupt Jesus if you were speaking? Guys, one of you, at some point, you all are gonna forsake me. Ah, excuse me, Jesus. I will never forsake you. He was a man of decisiveness, Hey, Peter, Jesus called, who do you say I am? You are the Christ. That's, that's true. Decisive. Decision maker. He was a man of influence. After Jesus had died and rose again, they hadn't seen him. Jesus is out on the beach. The apostles, they, the disciples, they didn't know where to go. You hear, you hear Peter go, you know what? I'm going fishing. And they all go out and get in the boat. So that's kind of what an influential leader does. He announces what he's doing and everyone just follows Ladies are like that too. There's influential ladies. They just say, hey, this is what I'm gonna do, and, and people follow. Peter was an influential leader, but he was hasty. He was hasty, he was brash. 
And Jesus had to calm him down. He was like a wave floating all over the place. One minute he's all in, the next minute it's out. One minute, I will never deny you, the next minute three straight times even cursing while he rejected his savior. Jesus had to turn him into a rock because God takes influential leaders and can turn them into valuable spotlight leaders who speak his truth. The book of Acts is full of the accounts of Peter. How about James? You know a passionate person? James is quick to anger. I'm thinking James might have been an athlete, okay? Because this dude wants to confront everybody and take them on immediately, all right? Um, James is full of confidence, all right? James was one passionate dude. He was called by Jesus a son of thunder, all right? If you get that title, all right? If you have a child, you go, let's call him thunder. There's a reason you did it, okay? He was a son of thunder. He was a man of confidence. Jesus, uh, he... he his mom comes up and tells Jesus, hey, my sons would like, they're so great, they would like to be on either side of you. Jesus turns to James and says, can you drink the cup that I have to drink of suffering? And James says, yes, we can. James is one confident, emotional, passionate guy. The Samaritans were mocking Jesus and not including Jesus into something where he was traveling through. He yells out to Jesus, hey, do you want us to call down fire from heaven and just destroy him? James is that guy you might not like, but you really want him on your team. He's a killer, okay? He's probably an athlete. That's my gut, all right? Um, um, James, the son of thunder. Well, he had a brother named John. John was a man of conviction, okay? John was a say-it-like-it-is guy. He's an incredible writer. He wrote you John, 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, and he wrote you the book of Revelation while he was on an island, but John saw it and spoke it like it is. Being another son of thunder, he was a man of say it like it is. Listen to one of the things he said. If you say you do not sin, you are a liar, period. He's not like, oh, I didn't know you didn't like when I said that. Okay, he wasn't like, oh, hey, John, could you consider everyone's feelings? Why? If you say you don't sin, you're a liar. Not listen to it. He was a man of black and white. He would say, we either love him or we hate him. It's that simple. Well, some people, you know, they just are learning to grow. No, you love him or you hate him. John was a man of grace, though. It seems like Jesus really worked through this black and white, by the book, maybe even a judgmental spirit, even stubborn, if you will, and taught him grace because he ended up writing with incredible warmth and grace his writings. Do you know a man of conviction? God can use a stubborn man of conviction and grow him into a man of grace. How about Andrew? I call him a man's man. He was behind the scenes. In fact, scripture refers to him as Andrew, Peter's brother. Do you know somebody? You meet him and they're like, oh, that's so-and-so's brother. Oh, hey, man, how you doing? I didn't know you were significant. They are. Peter's brother. He was a man of solutions. You know it was Andrew who was the one who found the boy with two fishes? People were like, I don't know how we're gonna feed all these people. Well, Andrew goes and finds this boy. And, and, and that's where we really see that he was a man of awareness. He was constantly, we have three references, including the Greeks, when they wanted to meet Jesus. It was Andrew who went and got them and brought them to Jesus. Andrew consistently brought others to Jesus. He wasn't out in front, but he was just this servant leader who was in the business of inviting people to hear Jesus. He's this guy who don't stand on the stage, but he's in church weekly, and he's telling his friends at work, come on out to church with me. He's just a man's man, Andrew, a servant leader. But he was probably a little bit shy. In fact, when he was called, he ran and told Peter so they could go together to meet Jesus. God can use that shy behind-the-scenes man's man and, and use him as a servant leader to bring people to Christ. How about Philip? Philip was a details guy. There's always a numbers guy in the group, right? Well, that was Philip. In fact, it was Philip who Jesus yelled out when the feeding of the 5,000. Hey, Philip, Philip. Yeah, 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 Jesus. Um, where shall we buy bread? I know, right? I mean, you've been preaching forever here, Jesus. They're all getting hungry. Where should we? He asked Philip. Why would Philip know? Well, Philip knew exactly how much money they had. It seems that he carried the disciples' money purse. And, and so we see he's a man of the details. He told Jesus exactly how much money they have. Hey, where should we buy bread? Well, 200 denarii worth of bread is what we have. We got 200 denarii. Look at this place. He was a details guy. He was a man of logistics. He actually tells Jesus it's not sufficient for them that every one of them may have a little. We don't get enough. 200 denarii's got to do it. Oh, don't, we can't be going, we'll feed everybody. There's facts. There's 
T's to cross, right, and I's to dot. We gotta go the numbers. With every visionary, they need a details guy. They need a Philip. Are you an administrator? You're like, I'm not the big visionary. I don't come up with these big plans. Let's go buy this building. That's not me. But I'll tell you why you should buy that one or that one and what the numbers are and how they can count the cost. He's a process guy, a fisherman in Galilee. You know, he went to church at the same synagogue as Peter and Andrew. Even in his fatalism, even in his, Jesus, the numbers don't add up. God takes guys like that and says, I can do things that the numbers don't even add up. God uses detailed guys, not just Peter's. Then there's Nathaniel. How, about, how many of you know Nathaniel? Just a scholar. Scripture points him as always reading the word of God. He was a man of education. When, when Philip ran to Nathaniel and said, hey, we found Jesus from Nazareth. He said, Nazareth? Can anything good come from there? I mean, this is a degreed up guy. We're talking about Nazareth, okay? I mean, and, and you know this, knowledge can sometimes puff up. And, and for him to think that he could learn something from Nazareth was kind of shocking for him. But he was a man of discipline. Jesus said, I saw you when you were under the fig tree. It seems that he read the Torah, he read his scriptures daily under the fig tree. And when Jesus said, I've been watching you, it was like, what? Nathaniel's just eyes lit up, he followed Jesus, and he was a man of integrity. It was of him that Jesus said, there's an Israelite indeed in whom there is no deceit. It's another way of saying Jesus said, that man has no hypocrisy. He loves me fully. You a scholar, you just love education. I have some friends that are literal scholars. They actually hobby taking classes as a hobby, okay? That was Nathaniel. Tended to be a little bit critical, but God can use intellects to defend deep truths. When I look at Nathaniel, I think of Ravi Zacharias, if you remember him. The Lord took him, but I think of an apologetic who just knows education. How about Matthew? Matthew, the recovering rebel, man of a dark past, a hated tax collector, man of deep wounds, an outcast, a slime to the Jews. Imagine John having to hang out with Matthew who betrayed his own people, a Jew taking taxes from his people. Matthew, a recovering rebel, but a man of evangelism. He, he leverages the Old Testament over 99 times. Why? Because he wrote Matthew, the gospel, to evangelize Jews. It's like this guy who stole from Jews said, I'm gonna spend the rest of my life evangelizing Jews. Do you know any recovering rebels? You know, the guy all tatted up on the Harley who loves Jesus with all his heart. I'm not stereotyping, but you know what I'm saying. That guy who's got a past, how about that girl who's got a past? But it's amazing how much they care about the outcast, how much they care about those people who are outside looking in at Christianity and they go, hey, can I share Christ with you? Matthew, the recovering rebel. How about Thomas? Oh, we call him Doubting Thomas, but Thomas was a faithful follower. He was a man of loyalty. When Jesus said, I have to return to Jerusalem, Thomas was the one. If we go back to Jerusalem, they were trying to kill you, Jesus. Why would we go back to Jerusalem? Are you crazy? He, Jesus says, I gotta go back to Jerusalem. And Thomas responds and says, all right, guys, Let's go die with him. You got a friend? Do you got a friend who if you said I have to go, basically go into danger that I'll probably lose my life, they'd say, all right, let's go. Wow. Thomas was a man of devotion. Jesus one time told the disciples, guys, I'm going to leave. And he said, where are you going? I have to leave, Thomas. Where are you going? Tell us the way. Tell us the way. If you've got to leave us, tell us the way. This is a faithful, faithful friend. He was a man of worship. It's Thomas who said one of the most epic lines of all scripture, my Lord and my God, when he saw his hands, my Lord and my God. What a devoted, faithful friend. God uses people of devotion. James, son of Alphaeus. I call him the quiet guy. You want to know why? This is how much is recorded in scripture of him. Nothing. Nothing. He's listed in all four gospels with the apostles, but nothing is said about him. He's obscure. Maybe that's you. Maybe you feel like if you never came back to this church, no one would know. Maybe you feel if you never called anybody, no one would ever call you. 
Maybe you're sitting at home and you've been at home by yourself for the past six months and you don't even know if anybody knows. I wanna tell you something. Jesus sees you sitting there and he saw James, son of Alphaeus, recorded him each time because he don't miss it and he was one of his apostles. Even the quiet people God can use in massive ways. Thaddeus, the energy guy, I think he was a young guy who was a man of exuberance. He asked Jesus, Jesus, would you just reveal yourself to everybody like you do to us? He was a man of many questions. In James Dobson's Growing Up Boys, he said, you got a little boy who asks a ton of questions? Careful, mom and dad, you're raising a leader. He needs to know why he does what he does. Thaddeus was a man of questions. What, what are you gonna do? What are you gonna reveal yourself, Jesus? Why not to just the us? Why not to the whole world? He wanted Jesus to show off. He was that supporter. He was like the biggest fan. Jesus, I wanna be like you. And he was a man of idealism. It really seems he wished everyone would just meet Jesus. And if they just meet him, they're gonna love him. He was just so idealistic and wonderful. Thaddeus, the supporter Sometimes God calls just that supporting person to excite others to get excited. And then Simon. Simon, oh Simon. He was a zealot, Simon the zealot. Now zealots were known for being political. They had a zeal for Jewish independence and they wanted Jews to be restored to prominence. Zealots were also very independent. They wanted to do things their way and they didn't like government ever telling them what to do. So their zeal often incited them to cause others to rebel and their desire to rebel against Rome and they despised people who didn't care as much as they did. So like if people didn't get as political as them, as independent as them, they'd say, what's wrong with you? And shame was a big part of their game. Guilt and shame and, and attacking. But, but I give Simon a lot of credit because Simon wouldn't want to hear Jesus say, render to Caesar, what is Caesar's? Mm, no, kill Caesar. See, but Simon started to realize that Jesus, he didn't come to make the Jews great again. He also didn't come on a hate tour against Caesar. He wasn't there to establish a kingdom of earth. He was there to establish his kingdom of heaven. And he would do it in his time. And so Simon was a man of coachability and he followed Jesus into a worldview that did not include a kingdom of this world per se. I give him a lot of credit for that, being the activist he was. And then finally Judas. We'll touch on him next week. For Peter brings up what happened to Judas the traitor. For that's how he's described in scripture. 12 men. 12 men, an influential leader, the passionate dude, the, the competitive guy, the man of conviction, those sons of thunder, uh, uh, Andrew, a man's man, Philip, the details guy, Bartholomew or Nathaniel, the scholar, Matthew, the recovering rebel, Thomas, the faithful follower, James, the obscure one, we don't even know what he did, Thaddeus, the energy guy, Simon, an activist, Judas, the traitor. Do you see yourself in any of them? Jesus called all these personalities, 12 men who said, whatever, whenever, however, I'm in. And he would take their personalities and mold them and shape them and use them to shake up the world. God can use anyone. And he wants to use you. And don't ever let the enemy tell you that God don't call people like me. He calls superheroes. These were ordinary guys. In fact, you can read more about these men in books like 12 Ordinary Men by John MacArthur. Charles Swindoll wrote an awesome book on the apostles. You can take from that and, and, and even glean more into the lives of these guys. They came together. Let's finish our passage. They came together and they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? Is this the time you're gonna do it? And he said to them, it's not for you to know the times or the seasons. I fixed that by my own authority. I'm in control. I know the times and the seasons. They're all fixed by my authority, including this season of your life. This did not surprise Jesus what you're going through this year. You'll receive power, guys. Any young people, you play video games? Jesus says, guys, you're gonna receive power. The Holy Spirit's gonna come upon you. It's gonna be in 10 days, okay? Um, and you'll be my witnesses, okay? In Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and the end of the earth. Wow, Jesus is like literally telling him, okay, I'm gonna 
put the Holy Spirit onto you guys and you're gonna become my witnesses and it's just gonna expand, 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 expand. I'm gonna use you and we're gonna change the world and build my church. Let me give you a visual. Jesus said, I am gonna call you to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, which is the surrounding area, Samaria, which is the surrounding region, and then even to the end of the earth, the gospel's gonna go out. We've been witnessing this here at first. In a lot of ways, over the past three years, God has been kind of expanding our Judea, Samaria. We, we've had a local family. We've served faithfully. We went into the community three years ago with revivals, and we have seen that ministry expand and expand and expand. And now, even into Bucks County, regionally, we are being called into different venues to speak into the gospel. And lately, the online ministry, we're in over 15 countries every Sunday morning now, in over 30 states, with thousands watching uh, a week throughout the year, uh, and we have seen over 104,000 clicks onto our website in just 2020. And God is just expanding the reach of not only the pulpit ministry, but our ministries and our family in the past year in ways we could never have imagined if it were not for maybe what you could say what we're going through. It's an expanse that we're seeing the church grow. And when he said all these things, he, he would, they were looking on and he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. This cloud kind of in its original root, it seems it might have been the Shekinah cloud that Jesus went in, up into. And they, they were watching and look at this next verse. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men, most likely angelic beings, stood by them in white robes. Now you know something about angels, they always understand why why human beings don't understand anything, right? Like, what's your problem, you, young, you human beings? Look what they say. Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? Guys, Jesus just went up. I would be standing there too. This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven, he's gonna come in the same way as you saw him going into heaven. He's gonna come back. Don't stand there gazing. You have a job to do. Fulfill the great commission. Fulfill the great commission. That's the call of the pioneers. So in the final three minutes, I wanna share with you the great commission in case you forgot it. This is your homework this week. Jesus made it a six-point expectation list on these guys. Six acts of faith that you can do to fulfill the great commission in your life, to pioneer into this unknown. First, he said this, I want you to, go ahead and put the list up for him, believe I'm in control. All authority has been given to me. I want you to believe that I'm in control. Get some perspective, people. Christians in Australia are not freaking out about the first week of November. Get some perspective. I'm in control, I've got this, you can trust me, I know what the future holds. I want you to go many places, don't just stay in one spot, share the gospel everywhere you go. Use what I have taught you to impact not just one life, but multiple lives. What could you do? to preach God's in control in a season like this, and second, to expand your reach to encourage other people. Build up my followers. He doesn't say just go get people saved. Make disciples. Make people who want to do whatever, whenever, however I call them to do. Build them up. Who could you be mentoring during this season? People talk about what the church should be doing. What could you be doing? You don't need an organization to fulfill the call of a mentorship. Ladies, why aren't there three girls following you around? Why aren't you sharing the Bible with them? All you need, guys, is a breakfast and a time, and you can mentor a guy yourself. Build up my followers. Share confessions publicly. Baptizing is a public profession of faith. Share your testimony, church. You don't need pastor to speak on Sunday. Take somebody out to eat, talk to a friend, say, hey, life has been weird this year, hasn't it? Can I share how God has given me great courage during this season? I wanna share what I call my testimony. When's the last time you shared your testimony? That's part of fulfilling the great com com commission. Do and teach his word. Teaching them to observe all I have commanded. I find it interesting. 
I have a son in college who is surrounded by not necessarily, you know, people who walk with the Lord. He said that I literally have a testimony by just not cursing, <laughs> by, by just not using language. They're like, dude, are you like, you, you all right? He's like, I have a testimony by just not doing some things. Now, you can have your own convictions, but is there something in your life where you can say, I wanna do something where it's very obvious I'm a believer? Maybe you're a businessman. You go out of your way to make sure that you handle things in integrity. And then finally, remember I'm with you. I'm always with you. Guys, I'm gonna be with you next year and the year following. I'm going to be there. You're not gonna do this alone. And when you fulfill these I want you to's by Jesus, you're living out the great commission in your life. My witnesses, 12. Maybe you're a Peter. Leverage your influence for Christ. Maybe you're a James. Prioritize your passions. Maybe you're a John. Hey, teach your convictions to others. Maybe you're an Andrew. Hey, continue to model servanthood. Maybe you're a Philip. Use that mind God gave you. Maybe you're a Nathaniel. Hey, correct error when you see it with the education you've been given. Maybe you're a Matthew. Hey, love the unlovable. Keep loving them. Keep loving those outcasts. Maybe you're a Thomas. Hey, Affirm the disheartened right now. They're very discouraged right now and be affirmed in that you know Jesus won't disappoint you. Maybe you're a James and you don't know if anybody even knows you're watching this. Go encourage someone else you know is living in obscurity. Maybe you're a Thaddeus. Go tell everybody about it. Oh, church is great. Maybe you're a Simon. Advocate, stand up, have your political views but make sure you do it in love because otherwise Paul says you're nothing but a noisy gong. And Judas, oh, I pray there's no Judases, but repent if that's the case. My name is Chris. I was six years old. I came home from an evening service where the pastor talked about hell and I was scared. I said, mom and dad, I wanna get saved so I don't go to hell. Now my dad said, good idea. And around yum yum donuts, I accepted John 3.16 as a truth for my own life. For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And I called on the name of the Lord. I walked away from the Lord during time periods in my life. I rebelled against authority. I wanted independence. I did things my own way. God had to humble me and knock me down quite a bit. And got a hold of my life and said, Chris, I got a mission. And now God's given me a platform that I could have never dreamed of in my life, nor actually wanted. And I'm called to use it for him. And so I'm telling you watching or anybody sitting here, if you do not know Jesus Christ as your savior, can I please tell you, you do not need to arrive to get saved. I grew up on 9th Street in a town called Percasey, if you're not from here. <laughs> Nothing special about this fisherman. And there doesn't have to be anything special about you because it's not about us, it's about him, amen? amen? Heavenly Father, if there's anyone here today who does not know you as their savior, may they call upon the name of the Lord. May they hear you say, follow me. We're gonna pioneer this new territory together. It may be scary, you may be worried, you may have some frustrations, you might have some angers. I take all personalities, I love you all. I can take the most competitive dude. I can take the sweetest, kindest girl. I can take the angry, emotional advocate. I can take the punk. I can take them all. And I can show them the love that they've been longing for so that they show the love the world is longing for. If you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord, you too can be saved and be a pioneer like these ordinary people on this stage, in this auditorium, and watching together, called by God into the unknown. Thank you, Lord, for this truth. Thank you for today. Amen.